Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Farhad Abbasov, who's the CEO of Millennial Lithium. So press release came out today saying that the DIA has been received, the Declaration de Impacto Ambiental, which basically says the EIA is legit. Um, and as a consequence, that's, I think, the last major hurdle they needed to overcome. There's a few more um, permits to get, but they're fairly minor and just kind of fairly functional type stuff. Um, they have a bunch of strategics in doing due, due diligence with them at the moment. I think this is one of the best, most advanced um, uh, lithium brine projects um, around, the lowest quartile producer, uh, with a track with a guy who's got a track record of having made a lot of money for shareholders previously. So definitely worth a listen. Enjoy the podcast. Farhad, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, all good. We're all good here. I'm loving that background. Where's that? Oh, thank you very much. That's that's in Baku. Azerbaijan. <laughs> Very nice. It's absolutely gorgeous. Looks, so I want to be there. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should. Once COVID restrictions are lifted, though. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I, I, I have actually seen, I've seen a, seen a few programs. Uh, I think there's been quite, quite a few movies shot there as well. It's, uh, it's a fa fantastic city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely that's right, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we should talk Fast about. And Furious, some other movies. There you go. <laughs> the, all the good, all the good movies. <laughs> Well, we should talk about your press release today because we spoke recently and you said this was coming up. Um, you said it would be quick and it clearly is. You've, you've, you've got a little bit of news around the EIA today. So just talk us through that and what it means. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So you remember last time we spoke, I think it was a few weeks back, um, I mentioned that EIA was in the pipeline and there were a lot of questions you know, after the presidential elections and provincial elections that took place in October last year as to how the new government was going to approach mining energy uh, sectors and uh, what it will mean in reality, you know, when it comes to actual permitting process. And it was, and you remember I told you that, you know, although the government, um, you know, changed in SALT as well, the new president came in at the provincial level, the new minister of mining and so forth, but they immediately um, expressed their full support for uh, almost all mining uh, projects and specifically to our project, our Pastas Grandes project in, in SALTA. And, uh, and today, we um, made that announcement that uh, the government actually uh, had reviewed it and uh, approved it, and the, which opens the doors to um, basically completing the entire permitting process. So the, the environmental impact assessment report, uh, which was filed last year, is probably the, the most important document because that encapsulates all our plans, all our uh, production plans, construction plans, as well as all the conversations, all the interaction and consultations with uh, with the local community, with the government, and so forth, and of course, as the name implies, it takes you know it really looks at the environmental impact of our project, of our uh, um, of our production center on on the um, on the environment in Salta Province and in, in Pastos Grandes specifically. So, um, I must say that uh, you know this is a stamp of approval not only by the government of uh, uh, the province but also by the local community um, because uh, it actually shows. They, you know, the, the environmental benign character and nature of this business model of this approach in terms of using solar evaporation ponds, we're not going to really disturb the environment uh, that much at all. As you know, there's no, uh, you know, uh, much of a uh, excavation of earth moving in general. Um, we just drill into the um, uh, ore body or into, in this case into brine reservoirs and pump brine back up to the surface. 
So all of that actually shows that you know we're on the right track. The government is on the right track, and it sends a very strong message to the investment community, which was a bit um, nervous uh, about you know how the new government will behave. You know how the new government will actually treat some of these large mining and energy projects in the country, specifically in Salta Province. But we've always said, look, the Salta Province is one of the strongest supporters of business, specifically mining, and uh, and you know fortunately they proved it. They put the money uh, where their mouth is, so to speak, in terms of approving the CIA. For me, following our last conversation, this is the one I was looking for, because this is the big hurdle. Because as you say, it says that you've done things right, legitimately, uh, obviously the involvement of the stakeholders locally. I, you know, I would have needed to see that, and that's clearly that sound. But as you say, the big signal is to the market about the intent of the Argentinian government about mining and doing business and, and you know international partners being in Argentina. So that was, that's what I was looking for, and I'm, I'm glad you've achieved that. Um, but let's look forward now, because it, like, nature investment is always looking forward. We've got to look forward. So w- what else needs to happen now? Because we, we talked previously about people in doing due diligence and potentially you know looking at funding partners and you needing to find the right structure there for you and your shareholders. But what's, what, what needs to happen between now now you've got the CIA approval and being able to make a decision as to which partner to go with. Any more permits, licenses? So, man, maybe I can tell you in a nutshell, um, you know, what we've been doing while all these COVID restrictions have been in place and, you know, what we're planning to do um, continuing into this uh, situation, into this lockdown situation in Argentina specifically, so that uh, both yourself and, of course, the listeners and viewers can appreciate what we've been doing despite all these uh the kind of constraints placed on us by external uh, circumstances. So first of all, in addition to the EIA approval, we also consolidated our land position. So in other words, you remember we've been working on Bremser properties, these are uh, the properties that we've acquired from um, the government of our, uh, of Salta uh, through tender process. We had big work commitments on, the, uh, on these properties, which we've completed and we've paid the government to completely uh, transfer these titles to um, uh, to millennial. So now millennial a- actually owns and controls all of these properties, all of the all of this land position in Pastos Grandes. That is very important because we've achieved it again in the middle of all this pandemic uh, mayhem going on worldwide. Um, in addition to this, um, the work on the ground continues, despite again all the constraints, despite all the uh, difficulties there and challenges with shifts and so forth. We continue to work there. We, we, we are completing the work on the community center that we've been building. Obviously, the uh, pilot operations have been continuously ongoing. And that's very important because we haven't really slowed down any of the uh, plans, any of the programs that we set out to accomplish, despite, again, as I said, all this um, uh, potential delays and, and issues. Now, going forward, uh, we realize, look, I mean, um, no, nobody knows when all of these restrictions will be uh, lifted. So we have to continue um, with our track, with our programs, and specifically now getting the rest of the permits, um, which is mostly mechanical. I mean, I, I don't want to uh, minimize their importance, but I want to say that they, most of them are operational permits, such as getting export licenses, you know, construction licenses, and so forth uh, from both the provincial, uh, federal, and municipal governments. Um, but, you know, we've been working on it already. In other words, we were not just waiting for EIA to approve it and then launch, uh, you know, the programs in that regard. So that has been going on. So and they will be um, received as we go forward. In other words, uh, they're not going to be major obstacles for any of the work that uh, we we're planning to accomplish in the next few months. 
Now, the key thing right now, Matt, as you know, uh, we're at a stage where we need to um, uh, basically secure funding for this project. So we're facing interesting options right now. Again, despite the COVID situation, we, we've been uh, continuously um, discussing and negotiating with various parties who are interested in becoming our strategic partners or just large investors in the project. Um, so we're looking at various options right now. One is actually uh, going forward with this project with a, with a very large strategic partner uh, who would come and basically help us fund this using our current technology, our current approach. Um, then there are a couple of other large um, companies and not necessarily in lithium space, but they're in energy space uh, who are very much interested in becoming large players in the sector, in lithium sector. And they've developed uh, variations of, um, of, you know, extraction, lithium extraction technologies that they would like to basically kind of uh, bring in into what we've been doing in Salta. Uh, so we're looking into that as well. Um, now, the rationale behind this, Matt, is to look at all these three options, I would say, because those two companies have two different approaches and see what will work best for us in terms of funding. And when I say funding, it's not just availability of financing, but also what kind of shareholder dilution we're going to have as a result. Um, what are, which one of these projects or sorry, technologies will actually get us to production faster and at what cost? Um, and of course, you know, the most important thing also is that the, the size of this. I mean, the, do we have to scale this down a little bit to start with or we'll just go ahead with our uh, original plan, which was basically starting with about 10, 12,000 tons and then ramping up to about uh, to full 24,000 tons of lithium carbonate production per year, two years after the start. So luckily, all of these options are still on the table. And um, the way we're, we've been approaching this is that, look, uh, while we're kind of all sitting in our, our homes, uh, we can con continue discussing all these things, both internally and with these parties, so that when the, you know, the, the market opens up, the economies open up and the, the restrictions are listed, we can basically bring all of this to conclusion. In other words, do your own DD on all these things and make a decision so that when the time comes, we, let's say in September, October, hopefully, uh, we'll make an announcement as to which way we're going to go and what kind of a uh, structure, be it strategic partnership, joint venture, or just uh, straightforward investment, um, we will be able to put together. So, so I think, again, uh, the fact that we, we've accomplished so much despite all these restrictions, the fact that we still have um, a healthy cash position um, uh, will position us in a very, uh, you know, very favorably compared to a lot of our peers uh, come the, uh, the recovery time. Because um, we think we're at a stage and with a low cost structure that usually Brian projects have, whereas we'll be able to attract significant investment interest um, so that we can actually get going with construction. Okay, so you're, you're pretty close to being shovel ready. You've got to get the money, in, the right type of money in place. I know you've got a, a lot right. of people sniffing around here and doing diligence and so forth. So it begs the question then, what's happening in the world of lithium? The lithium macro environment, I'm sure like, a lot of uh, commodities is struggling at the moment to try and understand what the, the new world's going to look like post COVID. So, what's what's your take on that? And and I appreciate you're the you know low, lowest quartile cost producer, and you know so it's all kind of good from that point of view. But people got to get work out the timing on this, you know. And you're I guess you know the, the biggest upside you can see is if the lithium market comes back 
um, and you know to full swing and the you know the EV thematic isn't impacted too greatly by COVID so how, how are you and the board managing that or trying to work out what the future looks like? So Matt I mean uh, this is uh, uh, you know probably one of the most important factors that will affect whatever we do in the next few months obviously and I mean if you look at this situation pre-COVID um, you know I'm talking about at least you know 18 months back up to let's say March of this year um, we've seen uh, quite a gloomy picture in, um, in the sector. Um, you know, oversupply, uh, the price coming down. Um, the one bright spot in the whole kind of scenario and the whole uh, uh, landscape was actual continuous growth in the, uh, in the demand for, uh, for electric vehicles, hence obviously for all kinds of battery materials. So that has been in place. In other words, that's the most important, I would say, uh, factor in the whole kind of dynamics is that, you know, the, the, the strong forecast, a strong growth forecast has been actually, um, you know, uh, true or holding true, I should say, in the last few months, especially pre-COVID. I mean, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, EV sales have jumped dramatically in Western Europe, at least in major European countries like UK, France, Italy and Germany, you know, year on year, the first quarter, they went up by almost 90 percent, specifically EVs. Right. So. Um, now, the expectation and my personal belief is that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, after recovery starts, probably that type of a trend will, will return. I think it will, again, obviously people are not going to rush out to buy cars, but when they do go out to buy cars, <clears throat> it will be electric vehicles, mostly. Uh, at least they will do better than, uh, you know, uh, regular, regular cars. Now, in terms of its impact on lithium, <clears throat> I think, you know, there have been quite a few interesting uh, developments in the lithium space as well, obviously, uh, you know, related to the fact that there was an oversupply and still oversupply, by the way, in, in the sector, and the lithium price has come down. Now, it is a typical feast and famine situation now, whereas, you know, the lithium price has come down to about $5,500, $6,000 per ton, this is on a spot uh, price basis. And um, a lot of high cost producers are already feeling the squeeze. So, so we've seen not only uh, you know hard rock producers um, and, you know out of Australia and China you know basically feeling the pain and you know either scaling down their production or shutting it down altogether, but a lot of development projects getting shelved, right? Because they're looking at it if their cost structure is pretty high, they're saying, well, I mean, it, there's no way for us to actually get it funded, um, so they're, they're getting shelved. Some of them getting it canceled altogether indefinitely. Um, so. That actually, I think, will have an interesting um, uh, dynamic or interesting impact on the whole, um, you know, the, the price the, the scenario going forward. Because what's going to happen is that when you have almost half of the world's supply coming from hard rock producers who actually have higher uh, operating costs than, let's say, brine producers, and where the price of lithium is already below their uh, marginal cost of production, either the price has to be pushed up to that level so that they still stay in business or they have to go out of business. Um, so I think that will bring to the, the, the whole, you know, the supply demand dynamic into a more stable or more balanced situation where the price will have to come up once those guys either, you know, go belly up or they, you know, uh, or something else happens there. Whereas the price is at a level where it incentivizes new investments. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that, um, you know, the Brine projects, for example, and our project specifically, um, you know, tend to have much lower operating costs. So, for example, we expect to produce about $3,400 per ton. So today, 
you know, if we were to produce today and sell it at, at spot price, you know, we'd still make money. However, that may not be enough to cover all your capex and so forth. So that's why I think in the next few months, probably, you know, again, the third or fourth quarter of this year, we're going to see that type of st stability in the price. And uh, it is absolutely important. And I think it's it will have to happen, Matt, because if it doesn't, there's no way, you know, the industry can meet the demand coming from EVs. So um, what form of shape it's going to take, obviously, we can argue that, but but it will have to happen because right now, basically, you know, only few um, projects worldwide are still kind of uh, standing still up and uh, and alive. Uh, most of them are, you know, suffering. Um, either they completely bankrupt or, they, you know, they decided to abandon their projects or um, they're, they're on their knees uh, for, you know, for, for, you know, basically start for cash. Um, uh, that's why I think, you know, the companies that are in stronger position will have to wait that moment when the recovery happens in the, in, in the industry. Now, going back to your question as to the forecast, now, if we were talking about this, you know, uh, in the first quarter of this year before COVID started, um, I would say probably by the middle of the, of the year, by the middle of 2020, would have that type of recovery, meaning that you know, the, we would have turned the corner. Um, with this type of a delay, I think most likely we're looking at the third um, or fourth quarter of this year. Um, if the economy is open up at least to you know, quasi-normal um, uh, you know, conditions. Um, and at that point, I think you know, uh, we'll be in a position basically go and, as I said, complete all these deals that we've been discussing and uh, basically complete the, the structure. Um, and um, as I think I mentioned last time, Matt, we're, we're not doing this on our own. We have a very strong uh, financial advisor. It's Credit Suisse. They're Toronto and the London offices are, have been helping us. Uh, and um, another very important thing I should note here that despite the difficulties and challenges that the sector has been experiencing, and this is I'm talking about pre-COVID, uh, the parties that are talking to us are not short-term um, uh, speculative uh, groups. So these are large industrial groups that have already made a you know, long-term decision. And they have very strong vision that, look, this is what we want to be in. And, and the, you know, this is a long-term trend that we want to participate, not only participate, but we also want to become um, you know, significant players in the sector. So I think that is, that's very important for us because that's why the, this, you know, uh, this DD on their part, as well as, you know, the, all this detailed conversations continue to this day. Um, otherwise, we would have lost a lot of uh, interest, you know, probably in mid-2019. No, I think that's a really good point you raised. We've had first conversations with lithium groups and individuals over the past few weeks and that's quite clear the decision making for you know when you're certainly talking about ev it's multi-year planning you know 10-year cycles for them so if there's a if there's a dip in the market now it doesn't really affect their planning they are because with automotives uh, we looked at all of the automotive brands 300 billion dollars worth of infrastructure being uh, spent and, and built um, around that. So they are going to need the supply and it's going to come down to where, where can they get that from, from a reliable source, you know, over a long period of time. And I guess the companies that can make money can get funded and they will survive and others yeah. will have to work out a different way or a different model of, of getting to market. Um, yeah, okay. Well, like, th thanks for the macro component there. It's always interesting yeah, getting a right. different different take and a different angle on it. But, um, well, like, Farhad, like, good news. Like I said, yeah, we were looking out for this one. This for us was a big one, big moment, hurdle to come over, overcome. Um, you've, you've done it. 
um, let's let's stay in touch. Let us know how these DD conversations get on, um, because you know picking the right partner is going to be really important for you. Really important. Well, thanks so much, Matt, and I, I'm I'm glad you found time for for this interview. I think it it will give a lot of information to your viewers. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.